so you guys, you guys know that, that I love you, right? Right? And you love me, right? Okay, good. So it's a great jumping off point. Today we're going to be talking about gender identity. Exactly. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, now I know why we're starting there. And it's, it's just such a hard topic because it's just so divisive. It's so divisive, and that's, that's so frustrating to me because, man, I love people. I love people. I'm called to love people. We're called to love people. And I, and I think today my hope is that we can see what the Word of God says, that we can open up the Word of God and see very clearly what it says on this topic, but also very clearly on how we are to respond. I'll call it the micro level. There's those who work on the macro level, the big, that, that work uh, to do things on a big scale. We as the church, we work on the micro scale. We do people to people. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning is people to people. How we, how we handle this subject, how we talk about this subject, um, and how we help people, deal with people, love people who may be struggling in this area. So I want to start off, make sure that we are on the same page. I want to go through just a few definitions. So that way when I use them for the rest of today's message, that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? There is um, our gender, okay, which may or may not be the same as our biological sexuality, okay? Biological sexuality, male and female. Our gender, for those struggling in this area, is, could be separate from our biological sexuality. So when I talk about gender, I am talking about how someone believes, feels, perceives, what they are internally, which may or may not be reflected by what you see externally. It's two different things in today's, in today's world. For today's message, it's two separate things. So when I talk about gender, I'm not talking about what you and I see when we see somebody. I'm talking about what they personally believe, feel they are on the inside. Someone who is transgender is someone who believes that their internal gender does not match their external biology. That's transgender. The opposite of that is what is referred to as cisgender, C-I-S, gender. That is those of us who believe that our internal gender matches our external biology. Okay, little lessons. Just so for the rest of today, you guys know the words that I'm using, we're all on the same page. One of my struggles as I prepared for this message was not to be dismissive. It was very difficult for me when I was researching and studying because when I study for a message, I not only study what the word of God says, I study what other people say about it. I study the opposite side because I want to know where they're coming from. I want to know their heart, why they believe what they believe. And it's difficult sometimes to not be dismissive. And as I went through those, those terms, I, I would imagine some of you already began to be dismissive because I'm guilty of that too. But someone this morning shared with me and I told them I was going to use it and I hadn't, I hadn't thought of this analogy. But if someone who is struggling with anorexia, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see themselves as fat, as overweight, as too big. They may be losing weight and losing weight. They may be 90 pounds. But when they look at themselves in the mirror, that is not what they see. That is the exact same thing that we're talking about. Someone who is transgender looks at themselves in the mirror and says, the mirror is lying to me. 
And we can understand it for someone struggling with anorexia a little bit better than we can with transgenderism. And I understand, guys, it's difficult. It's challenging. But I want to jump right into the Word of God, and I want to see what it says. So turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. We're going to go through a couple of sections of verses. Then we're going to look at what, how Jesus responded to people. And then towards the end, I'm going to give you how I believe we should respond. Just so you know how today is going to go. Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 2. It says, And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What does Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So we're going to camp today. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And be very clear, very black and white, there are two genders. That's it. Male and female. From the beginning of creation, from the beginning of time, God made them male and female. The truth of scripture, which is challenging, which is difficult, which is divisive, which if this, someone listens to this message on our, on our website, now I become a bigot, and, but I stand on the truth of what the word of God says. There are two genders, two sexes, male and female. And he's quoting Genesis 1. So let's turn there in your Bibles, Genesis 1, very beginning, to the creation story. Start in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When I was listening to those who do not believe what I just said, that there is only two genders, male and female, one of their big arguments is that earlier in the creation story, God separated the land and the sea. And so they say, well, what about all the places where the land and sea mix together? What about swamps and those sorts of things? Uh, land and sea is on a continuum. It's not two completely clearly divided things. So if land and sea is not that way, then male and female must not be that way. The belief is that male and female is on a continuum. That there's male and there's female. When, when, and they believe that when God said 
in creation, I made them male and female. They go, absolutely, he made them male and female and everything in between. I personally don't see scripture that way. I don't believe that that is the intent of scripture. When you go to back to Mark and you look at that, Jesus is being asked about marriage. He's being asked about divorce. So why in the world does he talk about male and female when he's simply being asked about divorce? Because he wants to make a point. He wants to make it abundantly clear to all the listeners that there is only one way to do marriage correctly and there's only one way to do sexuality and gender correctly, male and female. And people will say all the time, well, why didn't Jesus go through all the different ways that were wrong? Well, it's real simple. I have three children. If I lined up a hundred children in front of you, it would be pointless for me to go, not mine, not mine, 97 times. I would tell you the three that are mine, and then you instinctively know that the other 97 are not. Jesus didn't want to take the time. He only had three and a half years in his ministry. He wasn't going to take the time to list all the different ways that were wrong. He said, here is what is right. Therefore, everything that is not this is now eliminated. It's very simple. Only it's not. Our world has made it very, very complicated. And that's why it becomes so difficult when we talk about this topic. Because our, our, our culture has decided that there's only two ways that we can handle this topic. We either affirm them or we alienate them. And I believe we've, we're intended to be anti-culture, so why do we buy into that too? I want to share with you today a little bit about how we can affirm someone who is struggling with their gender identity. We can affirm people. We can affirm people's situations without ever affirming their lifestyle. So I want to take a minute and look at how Jesus responded to different people in different situations where they were caught in sin. And I'm not going to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the stories. If you want to turn there, you certainly can and follow along. First one is in John chapter 4. And Jesus meets this woman at a well. She's a Samaritan. Jews referred to as a half-breed. She wasn't accepted in society. She wasn't welcomed in society. And, and that is why it's interesting that Jesus finds her at the well in the middle of the day. Because most women would go to the well to get water at the beginning of the day before it got too hot. And this woman was found in the, at the well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, probably because she was so tired of hearing the whispers and the comments from all the, quote, religious people about how sinful she was. And so she avoided them. I find it very interesting that Jesus did not. Jesus sits down at the well, and he begins to speak to her. First, it's very odd that he would speak to a woman especially a Samaritan woman, a half-breed woman, but Jesus tended not to care about cultural distinctions. And he says, I'd like a drink of water. And she says, you don't have anything to get down to the bottom of the well. How are you going to do it? And he goes on to tell her that if she knew who she was talking to, she'd never thirst again. If she knew who he was and the grace that he could give her, the love that he could give her, she would never want for anything ever again. He started with the gospel. He started with himself. 
And then he says, one of my favorite things, he says, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't, I don't have a husband. And she, he goes, you're right. This is your fifth one. I don't want to like call you out, but this is your fifth one. And he, he pointed out her sin and he pointed out her life issues and he showed her that that's not how you're supposed to live. Jesus very rarely missed an opportunity to point someone back to truth. But he started with the gospel. John chapter 8. The Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They tried to do that all the time, and Jesus was way too smart. They wanted to trap him, and so they brought this woman caught in the act of adultery. Literally pulled her out of the bed, brought her to Jesus, threw her at his feet, and says, and they told him, the, the law of Moses is that we should stone her. What do you say? And there's a famous part where he writes in the sand, and no one knows what he writes in the sand. I tend to believe, like, he was kind of caught off guard and was just like drawn in the sand going, I'm not exactly sure how to handle this right now, so I'm going to take just a minute. Um, also, that's a, that's, it's a semi-clothed lady. I'm going to just take a minute here to compose myself. And then he says his famous line, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And they all go away. And he kneels down next to this woman. And he says, woman, who condemns you? She says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I. Gospel. Gospel. Gospel first. Every single time, gospel first. And then, go and sin no more. Truth. Matthew, the tax collector. He doesn't tell this tax collector, how could you do this to your family? How could you do this to your people? You are the worst of the worst. You have made a situation where everyone hates you because the tax collectors would steal money from their own people. He doesn't say that. He simply says, follow me. In this discussion, in this situation, Jesus must be the center of the gospel, not sin. We start, we begin, and in the middle is Jesus and the gospel. When we start making a sexual ethic or homosexuality or a gender identity issue, when we start making that the issue, we have placed that in the center of the gospel and have removed Jesus from that position. No one goes to hell for being transgendered. Do you know how we know? Because no one goes to heaven simply for being cisgendered. No one goes to hell for being homosexual because we know no one goes to hell, goes to heaven for being heterosexual. You go to heaven based on one thing and one thing alone. Jesus himself. That's the center. That's the beginning point. That's our launching off point. We've got to move away from uh, sanctification before salvation. We want behavior modification before salvation. How many of you, even with Jesus, still struggle to correct your behavior? Me, all day long. I've got the Holy Spirit. I have Jesus. I've had him for a long time. I am still a train wreck. Does that shock anybody? If you know me, it shouldn't. Hey, guess what? Y'all can raise your hands too. We're train wrecks. I got maybe like this little section figured out, but don't look over here. Because that place is a mess. It's like that closet we all got in our house, like no one's ever allowed to open that. Mm -mm. We all have those. 
We all have those. Maybe it's a whole room. For me, it's like multiple rooms. But either way, we have this idea that we've got to clean ourselves up to be worthy of Jesus. And Jesus constantly says, just, it's me. It's only me. He is the only way that anyone who is transgendered will ever believe the truth that there are only two genders. You, me, anyone, we're not going to convince them of that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. John 8, 32 tells us that the truth, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That truth is not the truth that there are only two genders. That truth is not the truth that marriage is between a man and a woman. That is not the truth that is going to set people free. The truth that is going to set them free is the truth that God decided to love us enough to send his son to save us. That's the truth that sets us free. So how are we to respond? How do we respond? We're going to jump to the opinion section of the newspaper real quick. This is not biblical truth. This is Brian's opinion. Social media is not the place for this discussion. Again, opinion section of the newspaper, you can take it or leave it. I see way too often. God has given us all platforms to speak truth from. Mark Zuckerberg gave everyone Facebook. That's not your platform. That's not your sphere of influence. I see more often, especially when you dive into the comment section, that more damage is being done than truth being shared. I've got no issue sharing our beliefs, telling people what we believe. But when we dive into the comment section, it tends to become attack and attack and attack and attack and attack. And then people are blocked, and once they're blocked, now we no longer have the ability to communicate and continue that relationship and continue the dialogue. This topic is so sensitive right now in our culture, it has to be done face-to-face. It has to be done in a way that demonstrates that I love you no matter what. So, all right, back to the uh, facts part of this message. Our love must be genuine. That's where we've got to start. Our love must be genuine. Mark 12, 30 and 31. Let's turn there real quick, since maybe you guys are still in Mark. Again, they're trying to trap Jesus. And they ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus, there's a lot of commandments. Like, there's a lot. Which, that's me. Okay, give me 10 things to do. Which one do you need done right now first? Because chances are I might forget the other nine. So, which do you need done right now? And Jesus makes it very clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'll keep going. John 13, 34, and 35. You don't have to turn there. Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. He did something for them that they weren't even humble enough to do for each other. God himself lowered himself, served in a way that, that humanity wouldn't. He washes their feet, and then he says, this new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the key. As I have. In the same way, just as Jesus loves me with the same grace and forgiveness and compassion, that's how I'm supposed to love others. And I hear this argument quite a bit. But this, this agenda, and, th- and that's what it is. I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a, an agenda that is being pushed to change our culture, to believe certain things. Well, that agenda is trying to destroy Christianity. It is trying to destroy what we believe. It is trying to destroy our churches. It's trying to destroy our way of life. I won't argue with any of those things. But I would point you to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 43 and 44. Love your enemies. So if you believe that this agenda is, is, is an enemy of the church, then we are supposed to love them even more. There's no angle I can look at, there's no angle I've been able to take where our response to someone individually, again, micro, individual who is struggling with transgenderism, is struggling with homosexuality, is struggling with any other sin that you want to put in there, our only response, first and foremost, is love. No matter what angle you want to look at it. And if we respond like Jesus, we start with the gospel first. We start with salvation first because the thing that matters most is that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that they are saved from an eternity apart from the God who loves them. That's the thing that matters most. We can't see them as projects. We can't see them as someone just to fix You have to see them as people. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those of us who've said yes to Jesus and have become sons of God. Then there's everybody else who is made in the image of God. Made in the image of God with intrinsic value, who deserves respect, and dignity and honor. Even if they don't believe like we do, they are still made in the image of the God who loves us so much. Our job is to love them. Third way we respond. We remember that there are more options than affirmation and, or alienation. Our culture has has given us this idea that either you believe what I believe or you hate me. Either you believe that what I'm doing is right or you hate me. Jesus did the exact opposite. He walked constantly with people who were broken, with people who were sinful, with people who who had spent their whole lives doing things that would make our faces red and make us embarrassed to be around them. And he spent his whole ministry being with those people, his 12 disciples included. 
And even when Peter denied him and when Peter (laughs) challenged him and he said, get behind me, Satan, it wasn't get behind me, Satan, and stay there, Peter. How could you ever do that? How could you make that mistake? How could you choose that? Now you're done. It's not Jesus. Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Now come up here, I love you. When Jesus rose after his resurrection, when he met Peter, he didn't go to Peter and say, how could you deny me? I even told you you were going to deny me, and you still did it. Gone. Done. No, Jesus says, I love you. In fact, let me make you the, like, the pastor of the first church. How about that? Jesus works with broken people. That's his whole ministry. That's what he does. That's what we are supposed to do. And so I want to walk through just a few things that you can affirm without affirming their gender identity issues. You can affirm their pain. Oh, it hit me this week. It absolutely hit me this week how miserable of an experience it would be to believe that what everyone sees about you is a lie. That would be a miserable experience. That everyone looking at me right now, I would believe that they see a lie. That they see something that is not real. That who I believe I am does not match how you treat me, how you speak to me, how you look at me, how you accept me. That would be painful. We can affirm that pain. We can affirm their loneliness. We all understand loneliness. Could you imagine being a believer in Jesus and struggling with this? Maybe never acting on it, but struggling with it? How lonely would that be? How sad would that be? We can affirm that loneliness. We can affirm their distress. We can affirm our relationship. Friendship and relationship should not be built on agreement in all things. It's a really boring friendship. Relationships should have a little bit of tension sometimes. We should be able to have relationships with people who disagree with us. I see some married couples like, mm-hmm. You and your spouse don't agree on everything or many things sometimes. But you're still there. You're still committed. Parents that have kids that are now grown. A lot of things you don't agree with. But you don't leave. You don't dismiss. But why in this situation, in this setting, when it comes to homosexuality and transgenderism, why has this become a Either we agree or we don't ever talk again. Our job is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's, I, I think we've got to start looking at them as an unreached people group. We see all these, we, 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 we praise a, a missionary that goes to, goes to uh, the, the Amazon and reaches people that have never heard of Jesus before. What about those in this country that, that say, man, this group of people, they need Jesus. Their hearts are broken. They are hurting people. Where's that missionary? Where's that missionary that is willing to take the looks of the church and build relationships with people who are transgendered, people who are believe that their way they were created is not correct? We can affirm our love to people. 
we can affirm their dignity, honor, intrinsic value as people made in the image of God. There's a lot we can affirm. There's a lot we can affirm in someone who is struggling with this, with this issue without ever affirming the lie. Last one. We've got to remember our own brokenness. Let's turn to this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Keeps me humble. If I can remember where 1 Corinthians is, there we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 9. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if we stop there, we're like, amen, yes. You tell them, Paul. You tell them, that's truth. That's good truth. We stand on truth here. That's what we do. So then verse 11, uh, and... Uh, such were some of you. Like, no, I, no, uh, no amen now. We're done. That amen is over. I, re, I re, retract that amen. But we, that is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because sometimes maybe I get a little self-righteous. Maybe every now and again I've been saved long enough that I forget who I was before Jesus. Maybe sometimes I forget that if Jesus wasn't with me now, there'd be a whole list of issues and none of you would want to be around me. Sometimes. And I've got a sneaky suspicion I might not be the only one in this room who does that. And God politely reminds me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and such were some of you. But the verse doesn't stop there. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. But before that happened, I was broken. Jesus did not come for the well, he came for the broken. He said he came for those that needed a doctor. And if we are to grow into the head, which is Jesus, I believe that we are supposed to have the same mentality. Only Christians humble enough to recognize their own brokenness will be capable of walking with people through struggles that seem very different from our own. The more we remember our brokenness. And I'm going to challenge myself and challenge you. Not our past brokenness, our current brokenness. Because when it comes time to do like, like some prayer requests and things you're struggling with, like we like to talk about things that used to happen, not things that are currently happening. 
Like, you know, back, you know, back, in, back in the early 2000s, it was, it was rough. It was rough. I was struggling with these things. Yeah, I knew Jesus, but I was struggling with these things. But we don't talk about that today. Today, I'm struggling with this area. We're still broken people. We are broken people in desperate need of Jesus. And sometimes we forget that because God's so good. God is so good that he reminds us constantly, I love you. You have value. I don't see your sin. I see you as perfect. I love you. You are holy and without blemish. He's so good at reminding us of that that sometimes we forget. You're the only person that sees me that way. He's the only person that sees me without my my blemishes. He's the only person that accepts me even with all of my issues. And we are his children. We are his children called to be representatives, ambassadors of Jesus. To love people the same way. To accept people even when they're sinning. To love them first, give them Jesus first, truth second. Because the truth that sets them free is, is not the truth that they're... The truth that sets them free is salvation. It is the gospel. First John four nineteen tells us that we only love others because he loved us first. When we recognize our brokenness, when we recognize what God has done for us and the love that he has given us, it should pour out to other people. And guys, I'm, I understand that this topic, someone who is struggling with transgenderism, tends to make us feel pretty uncomfortable. It's generally probably not something we see every day, not something we run into every day, and it can make us very, very uncomfortable. But I was challenged this week in my prayer time. I was challenged this week. Which is of more value? Which is of more value? The eternal soul of someone who is struggling with something that makes me uncomfortable or my own comfort? And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say stupid things. We're going to ask really dumb questions. There's going to come situations that we don't know how to respond. When we build relationships with people who sin differently than we do, especially in this area, there's going to come some really uncomfortable moments. And there's going to, become, there's going to come some situations where we don't know what to say or how to respond, and we're going to blow it sometimes. But that doesn't mean that we don't keep going. It's the same way every parent in this room has blown it with their kids more than once. We didn't respond the way we, want, we needed to. They asked us a question. We didn't answer in the right way. But we don't quit there. Around Christmas time, I love that we talk about the word Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel is God with us. That God loved us so much that he refused to stay in the perfect union of the Trinity that he condescended himself to our broken world to be with broken people. To be dismissed, 
to be brutalized, to be hated by the people he created. And the whole time he was here, he was reviled and ridiculed for spending time with the broken people. He was unaffectionately referred to as friend of sinners. Now, if we remember John 4 and John 8, he was with sinners. And he still walked in truth. He still walked in truth. Because they knew, without a doubt, this guy loves me. This guy loves me. He's the first person who has a belief in this God that has been in my house ever. For the lepers, he's the only person on earth that is willing to touch me. He's the only person on earth that has ever come close enough for me to see the color in his eyes. That's the Jesus that we serve. Constantly walking towards the broken. Constantly walking towards the hurting. Constantly walking towards the sinner. In grace and truth. And so in this area, in this arena, we as a church, we as individuals have got to stop running away. We've got to stop giving up because it's hard. We've got to stop giving up because it makes us uncomfortable. We've got to stop giving up because we're afraid of what some other Christian is going to say when we make friends with someone who is incredibly different than we are. Because they are broken people in desperate need of someone to love them the way that Jesus did, to lead them back to the cross. I'm so glad we did that song this morning. Back to the cross where his love fell down on us and accepted us with all of our flaws, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our struggles, with all of our sin, so that we may do the same for others. Let me challenge you, let me challenge myself, let me challenge us as a church, that especially in this arena, can we be the individuals, can we be the church that loves the unlovables, that loves those that the world despises, to love those who are far away from Jesus? Do we trust God enough to do that?